Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. We're going to skip our usual um, 80s trivia so we can go right to our guest who was probably born in the 80s, I'm guessing. (laughs) Cash, what year were you born? I, I just made it, 1980. Oh, 1980. Okay, All so right. you're close. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not too bad. So yeah. are you still, does that make you a Gen Xer? I believe that. I don't does. know the rule. I think, I don't know. I well, you have to clear it past us. Yeah. yeah. I, think I'm, I think I'm the one before that. Gen X is like after, right after that. Oh, you're know. dreaded millennial. Okay. You're millennial. Oh, boy. <laughs> so. Bad. Our guest today, uh, if you haven't figured it out already, if you know someone (laughs) else named Cash, I don't, but (laughs) is our friend and uh, warrior on so many fronts, Cash Patel. Cash, thanks for joining us again. I think you were on, when was it? Yeah. A few years ago. He's been on before. I've definitely done it before. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, whatever time zone you're in, ladies. Thank you for having me back on the show. But I think it's been like... Six, eight months. It's been too yeah, long. It's been a while. Well, yeah. we are excited to have you on because we know you are um, doing your book tour, your publicity tour for your book. Congratulations, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. As of Friday morning when we're recording, I believe you are on Amazon's your number 52, it looks like. 51. It was yeah. earlier this morning, top 100 books on Amazon, number one, political corruption and misconduct, number one, federal jurisdiction and law, number two, United States national government. That's a nice rollout, Cash. Congratulations. No, Excellent. thank you. It's been so long in the making. Um, President Trump was kind enough to roll it out this week. It actually got all the way up to number eight after President Trump launched it in all books. So that was very humbling and surprising. And I was just, you know, I've never done this before, so it's all new to me. And and I'm just uh, really, really glad we're finally here after the 10-month Biden blockade and federal lawsuit required just to get my book out. <laughs> so I want to jump into that. So this is your first book. Yeah, it's going to be my last. <laughs> okay, exactly. Let's let's talk a little bit about that because um, it is quite uh, quite an undertaking that I, when I wrote my first book and I've written two, um, did not anticipate at all. So we'll talk a little bit about what it's like to write your first book, what surprised you, and why you are saying, which is not true, that you'll never write another one because you will. Um <laughs> It's like I'm never going to have another baby. And of course, so So tell everyone about that, about this process. Yeah. You know, um, after 16 years in government, I had some dear friends at the end of the Trump administration that said, look, you know, it's not about writing a biography. It's about writing the achievements of the administration, but also reflecting on 16 years, what worked, what didn't and trying to make it apolitical because I'm a national security defense, you know, intel guy. Generally, those missions have been apolitical, and they became so overwhelmingly politicized and weaponized. It was just a shock. And so we you know, put pen to paper, and we actually wrote the book in about three months, maybe just a hair over. And then as a former federal employee, you have to submit your book, your manuscript, back to the government because I had a security clearance. And I've got no problem with that. I've been on the other end of it. It usually takes two to three months. 
and and that process was weaponized. If you remember, Bolton released classified information in his book, and the DOJ gave him a hall pass, even though they admitted he released classified information and didn't follow the process. So once we got into it, they had told me they sent it to nine agencies and departments. And I'm like, nine? Oh it usually goes to one. Uh, and then they just delayed and obfuscated. And so I finally filed a federal lawsuit against the Biden administration to force their hand. I said, what in here is classified? I mean, you're talking to the former deputy director of national intelligence. It's not like I'm writing state secrets because I want the FBI to be on me even more so than they already are. And uh, they were like, oh, we got to review it for redactions and this and that. And, the other. and Anyway, after we filed the lawsuit, after 10 months, um, they finally bent the knee and released my manuscript. And I put the letter from DOD right in the first page of the book. I don't think anyone's ever done that. And then I looked through it with my lawyers about the redactions and we laughed. We literally, I've, I've never laughed so hard. 0.05% of this book is redacted. And it's the same like six words, seven times over. And those words, I'll tell you over a cocktail one day, it's hilarious. It, it's just a baseless justification to have held up my book, which means what don't they want you to hear? And hopefully people will take take that and be like, okay, well, we really should get in here and figure out how to destroy the deep state. I mean, that's the mission of the book. Which is interesting because you have all these books coming out. I, I'm sure it didn't go through a similar process. All the Trump officials, I mean, Bill Barr's book, Mark Milley's book. Do you, to your knowledge, did it, did those manuscripts have to go through a similar process as well? Yeah, but they flew through. They were out, out the door in two <laughs> to bet. three months, right? So and not nine agencies? Like not nine agencies? Not nine agencies. I have to pay for a federal lawsuit. Those things aren't free. Lawyers cost money. That's what they want to do to you. And they want you to be like, you know, I mean, you have to think about it. We're in September of this year. My book was finished in September of last year, October of last year. So they want to make it stale and they want to wow. they want to right. basically just, just take out um, any advantage you might have by putting out a good book. And I think the, the standings sort of reflect the success of our team in, in putting together this book. And one can only imagine if it came out, you know, six, seven, eight months ago. But given all that's going on with the deep state, I guess it's pretty timely. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, for at sure. Least it, at least it wasn't the 17 intel agencies. Remember how we were told that there were 17 intel agencies that um, – I think it was like the Russia collusion hoax that yeah. like confirmed it. So at least it was just nine. So you kind of <laughs> did get off easy cash, not 17. I guess, yeah, 50%. I'm doing okay. <laughs> right. So, Cash, talk a little bit about your background. Um, I know you were a prosecutor and a public defender. Yeah. Um, but then your role with Devin Nunez's office, you and him and a handful of others who really uncovered um, one of the biggest scandals in American history that we're still finding out the details about, which is Russiagate. So just talk a little bit about your background with yeah. Devin Nunes' team and then uh, working for the Trump White House. Well, as I, as I talk about government gangsters, all roads lead to Russiagate, not because I led that investigation, but because they keep going back to those same people and the same corrupt activities. And it's not a Republican or Democratic thing. So when Devin asked me on to run it, you know, I really didn't want to do it. I wanted to go run a counterterrorism at the White House. And he said, look, just do this and and, uh, you know, we'll work on getting you there once this is done. And true to his word, he got me there. Um, so we dive in into that in the book. And as a national security prosecutor, what I think that's probably one of the reasons they 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 hired me to do it, because I had handled FISA's uh, to chase actual terrorists, you know, 
And when I came on board and read the Carter Page FISA, I, I was like, is this science fiction? Is this really what the FBI? There's no way. I thought I was getting punked, like some sort of initiation on Capitol Hill as a joke. <laughs> and um, and, I, and now we know the rest is, you know, the rest is history because we found out that they withheld exculpatory evidence. The FBI got in bed with the Democratic Party. They bought fake intel. They lied to a federal court. They unlawfully surveilled them. And if you don't believe us, you got to believe John Durham, who validated and said the most important piece of the John Durham report is there was no evidence to ever launch an inquiry or investigation into Trump or surrogates. I mean, just think of that statement and how powerful it is. So it should have never had any of it. None of it should have ever happened. And 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 what we're teaching people today is the half the people that think that, you know, Donald Trump's a Russia collusion, you know, Russian asset because they watch CNN and the New York Times. We're still defeating that narrative. And that's part of what I go into in Government Gangsters, it's, whether it's that or Jan 6 or what have you. This fake dis, this disinformation campaign that is out there is really hurting America. Um, one other thing just quickly related to it that brings the book up to current events. When I was running Russiagate, Devin and I had a meeting with then Attorney General Rod Rosenstein and then and Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, in the skiff in the Capitol to discuss our 17 subpoenas that they were trying to stonewall us on. And this was January 2018. And they come in there and threaten to investigate me and Devin and staffers who are working on this investigation for exposing their corruption. Mind you, Rod Rosenstein had signed the most unlawful FISA warrant, which was later rescinded by the FISA court, something that never happened. What we found out four and a half years later, uh, ladies, is that they lied. Two months before the threat, they had already gone to a grand jury and subpoenaed all of my personal information, along with multiple other senior congressional staffers. So based now, on what? Well, based why? On what's yeah, that? exactly. Now, and you don't want to know the irony of it. It's not like DOJ or FBI told us in December of 2022 or January of 23. Google sends me a notification that their five year window has lapsed and they're allowed to notify me that I was a recipient of a target subpoena and they they complied. Now, as a national security prosecutor, I know you don't just send it to Google. You go everywhere. You go all your providers, all your email, all your banking information, all your telecom records, all your financial statements, everything. And now we have the, the you know, what should have been the biggest scandal in modern history after Russiagate is senior congressional staffers being spied on by DOJ and FBI baselessly because they were doing their constitutional duties of oversight. And so, like, I think a week or two ago, we filed a monster federal lawsuit against Chris Ray, Rod Rosenstein, the FBI and DOJ, and every one of those government gangsters who violated my constitutional rights and the law to baselessly prosecute or investigate me. But that's what they do. That's what I talk about in government gangsters. This is the level that they will go to because they think they'll never get caught. And when they do, they'll just lie about it and have the fake news launch personal attacks against me and talk about how great of a job that Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray did when they're the ones that destroyed our DOJ and FBI. Aren't there supposed to be guardrails in place? <laughs> that just, <laughs> no, no, I don't. Like things in a bowling alley? I know, that, I know. Look, I get it. I know that <laughs> know. silly question. But the public has always been sold on the guardrails, right? When they're trying to get like 702 reauthorized or something like that. We're always told that, oh, no, we're, we're, there's, you know, protections in place. So what 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 are the protections? I mean, aren't there supposed yeah. they were obviously disregarded, but nevertheless, like, what, don't you need some kind of cause to start subpoenaing 
the communications of congressional staffers. That seems well, kind yeah. of serious. <laughs> You're right. There, there were guardrails for, um, you know, FISA and Russiagate and the things called the Woods file that I talk about. There are guardrails like the attorney general and the FBI director have to sign off and validate all the information, especially when you're targeting an American citizen. And there are guardrails in place that says when you're going after congressional staffers, you got to get the attorney general, the sign off of all legal counsel, the head of the FBI. So what that tells me is what they did during Russiagate is they're being they're, they have replicated that process over and over again to say, well, we follow all the stringent guidelines of the DOJ and FBI and everything is above board till we pull back the covers and find out they are the ones that violated the law and broke it and covered up their corruption by trying to redirect their law-breaking activities onto us. It's like the liberals, right? They accuse us of doing everything they actually do. Like, oh, no, Donald Trump bought foreign information. No, you the Democrats did. You know, Donald Trump's cronies in government went to a FISA court and lied about Hillary Clinton to surveil her. No, you guys did that. You know, Donald Trump is the one that caused January 6th. No, Donald Trump's the one that authorized 20,000 National Guards two days before January 6th. And Nancy Pelosi and Mayor Bowser refused that authorization. Their letters, by the way, are in my book. I put in a whole bunch of government documentation so the American public can read for themselves why to this day, just this week, I heard Nancy Pelosi lying, saying Trump's an insurrectionist and blaming him for not deploying the National Guard. Well, we have Nancy Pelosi's own words and her Capitol Police timeline in this book where it says, we do not want the National Guard. We are rejecting that request from the president. And that has been confirmed now by multiple other sources, including um, former police, uh, Capitol Police Chief huh? Stephen Sund in his book and then his recent testimony to the House Administrative Committee. Uh -huh. uh, and Nancy Pelosi lied the day after on January 7th when she was asked, of course, Steve Sund was um, her scapegoat, even though he was completely kept out of the loop. He was asking for National Guardsmen, as you know, starting on January 4th, repeatedly denied by Paul Irving, who was Nancy Pelosi's sergeant at arms at the time. And when he kind of pushed it, said, no, she won't like the optics of it. Well, of course, it wasn't the optics. She was wanting to keep the Capitol intentionally vulnerable. Uh, so that's why she did it. But you have been exonerated by what you've said. And I know you put together a very detailed timeline of January 6th, all the calls that you had made. Uh, and um, acting uh, defense secretary, Chris Miller. Mm -hmm. So this has now been confirmed multiple times that uh, the offer was made, that they repeatedly denied it. Mario Bowser denied it as well, rejected it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this helped prompt, to your point, the, the events of January 6th. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the sad thing that, you know, people are like, oh, it's all politics for you guys. No, it's all politics for you, the radical left, the deep state government gangsters, the entrenched rhino Republicans, and whether it's Russiagate or Jan 6 or the 51 Intel letter, which I talk about, election rigging is at the central core of what they talk about here. And just like they thought Donald Trump and half the country still thinks Donald Trump's a Russian asset, half the country still believes Donald Trump is an insurrectionist who did not provide the National Guard on January 6th to help quell and provide security. And that bozo on, what was it, MSNBC or whatever uh, interview Donald Trump just did the other week, lied to the public about the law. This is the level, she literally said, 
not only did you not do anything on January 6th with Donald Trump, you didn't do more. There is nothing more a president of the United States can do with the National Guard. The Constitution and the Supreme Court are very clear. Posse comitatus, you cannot deploy uniformed military personnel domestically in the United States of America. Why? Because we don't want a military coup, hence the National Guard. And they know the law, but they're trying to pull one over in the eyes of the American public who doesn't know better. And they're like, yeah, why didn't Donald Trump send in tanks and machine guns and belt fed machine guns like Nancy Pelosi wanted? Yes, she asked us for that. It's, I talk about it in my book. And because it's unlawful, because it's ludicrous, and because we have now turned the page on the political corruption of Pelosi and Bowser, who wanted the insurrection style narrative, because look, they're using it to this day because they can't defeat President Trump on his agenda, on the truth and on the policy he's putting out there. And that's, you know, that's the tough mission we have, I think, when we go around the country and talk to people. They're like, oh, I didn't know that. And, you know, it sort of circles back to your first question. Why did you write the book? Well, you know, it's in here. <laughs> Not to, like, tell people just to read the book, but the work that you guys have done, uh, Julie and Liz, on, in and around January 6th has educated so many people. But we have still have so many more folks to go because they've been lied to for so long. And the news media is the biggest criminal conspirator of the deep state. They'll just make up laws if it involves Donald Trump and say, well, he can't do that. And he could have done more on January 6th. And just imagine it this way. What if Bowser and Pelosi had said, yes, thank you for your uh, request and offer of 10 to 20,000 National Guard. We will comply. Do you think we would have anything go down in and around January 6th if that had happened? I think that's such a common tactic that the left uses and the media, which is they really prey on the public's like lack of knowledge about the laws and about what is and isn't allowed. And especially because people get their information on Twitter or on Instagram and they don't even really read articles that have more information in them. Not that they're not lying too, mm -hmm. but that's a constant <laughs> tactic, which is just lying to the public who doesn't know any better. They don't know how the government really works because it's so massive. It's a giant leviathan. So that's a really good point, Cash, that people are completely living in a to like a lie. They're just living a lie. They're, well, they're, they're okay oh, with it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Even when you present inf like the information, the, the details, the timeline, the account of everything, they still want to reject it and somehow suggest that Donald Trump, not multiple federal and local law enforcement agencies who are, by the way, on the ground before the events of that afternoon, that somehow he was responsible and, yes, should have deployed the military, even though we now know, too, that Mark Milley was deeply involved in high-level discussions before January 6th, which he shouldn't have been. We could talk a little bit about Mark Milley as well. <laughs> um, but, Cash, if you – you know those old posters, like the gangster posters, and they uh -huh. would be like most wanted gangsters? Yeah. Who would be on your poster <laughs> of government gangsters dating back to, you know, whatever, the beginning of the Trump administration till now? Uh, that's a great question. And luckily for you guys, I have made an index in the back of my book of all the government gangsters I encountered in the executive branch. So I think I named like 70 or 80 of them. Um, but we can name a few here. People like Charles Kupperman, um, Pat Cipollone, Eric Charmella. Of course, you guys know about him. Dennis McDonough, Lisa Monaco, um, Nina Jankowicz, Robert Hur, the current special counsel. 
And more importantly, uh, there's so many more in here. I don't just list them and tell you who they were. I tell you why they broke their oath of office and their duty to the Constitution so we can reform it. And it's not like these guys just showed up. They were there for decades. They just coalesced when Donald Trump came down the escalator. And then when he won, they went – they lost their minds because they knew this individual would destroy the entrenchment of D.C. and rob them of their – meal ticket, rob them of their fame and glory in the media and rob them of their ability to go back into the private sector and get a seven-figure golden parachute like Mark Esper and so many others do. And he was robbing them of the DC they had built for decades. And so that's the point I make. The deep state didn't just sort of rise up during the Trump administration. It had been there a long time. It exponentially grew, I think, when Donald Trump got to 1600 Pennsylvania. But they, not a Democrat or Republican thing, I probably name more Republicans than I do Democrats in the book. I track it backwards so we know where these people were placed and what agencies and departments and who they communicated with. Do you think it's a coincidence that the number two and three at the Justice Department right now under Merrick Garland are the two heads of national security at DOJ that launched the Russiagate investigation against President Trump and authorized it? It's not a coincidence. They get rewarded and promoted for their criminal conduct. Because Washington um, works that way. I mean, you don't even have to just look at the executive branch. We can talk about Congress and even the judiciary to a certain extent. So destroying the deep state is taking on all three branches of government and not just with personnel, but with so much more uh, congressional constitutional oversight, something which I think is unfortunately failing these days um, while Republicans have the majority. And we I'm not sure how we get it back short of putting Donald Trump back in office. Before then, I guess I say I'll, I'll hold out hope that some of these investigations are handled better, but um, not from what I've seen. Before we get into the investigation, I want you to address uh, one of the biggest, I think, and legitimate criticisms of Donald Trump is some of the names that you listed are people that he appointed, yeah. that he put in power. I mean, Pat Cipollone was his one mm-hmm. of his you know, attorneys. He appointed Mark Esper. He appointed Christopher Wray. That is, I think, seeing that's one of the biggest criticisms of Trump. I think it's very valid. So talk about why he put these people in positions of authority and why people should believe that, you know, if he is, again, elected president, do you think he's learned his lesson and will or will history repeat itself and he will appoint some of these snakes back into his inner circle at high level cabinet positions? No, that that's a question we have to ask and you can't dodge it. And then President Trump and I, you know, we've talked about it often and it's not something he dodges either. But rewinding the tape a little bit and going back to when they were coming in, these were guys that had built private businesses and enterprises that never been near government and thought, hey, maybe we can rely on the career public servants to continue the work of government. And they were bamboozled by those folks. Now, uh, that was part of it. The other part of it was they listened to the entrenched D.C establishment class way too much. And that got you the Bill Bars, the Mark Espers, the Pat Cipollonis, the Gina Haspels, uh, the Mark Millies, and so many other individuals people don't even know about. And it, it was very difficult at the time to go in there. I mean, you have to think of it, you know, and not be anachronistic. You got to be like, okay, let's go back to the White House in place at that time. How are you going to go and show the president that these secretaries of defense and chairmen and directors are all part of the deep state? It took us years to unravel the fact that I talk about in government gangsters like Gina Haspel, right? CIA station chief, 
when Russiagate was launched. Why is that important? Because Russiagate was launched in the United Kingdom by the FBI's unlawful authorities to surveil President Trump's surrogates there. But the only person that can authorize such a maneuver is Gina Haspel. Now, remember, we already talked about Rod Rosenstein and Chris Ray. Do you think it's a coincidence or do you know where Gina Haspel and Rod Rosenstein currently work today at Christopher Ray's old law firm? This is what I'm talking about. You can't make this stuff up right. and they are in it together. So when you take on one of them, you take on the entire Leviathan, which is why I call this thing objective Medusa, because you can't just cut the head off of one of the snakes. You got to take it all out. And so personnel, the good news is we have the personnel, we have the bench. And this time around, we know who not to listen to. And if you use government gangsters for nothing else other than to be like, who are these people and who are they associated with? We now know who is never going to come back on the scrolls of government. So that's step one. We've got the bench. We know who to put in. We're already working on it. I'm working on it. Um, the next step is going into government. And I talk about in government gangsters is how to remove the other people that have entrenched themselves so we don't have yeah. another Charmella and Vindman. Yeah. And this legal fiction out there that you can't remove people in government offices, in government employment, it's the, that, that is another disinformation campaign of the fake news mafia. Of course you can. It takes a little bit of work, but I know when I was at DNI, we cut 10% of the workforce. You got to work with Congress. You got to use the regulations and the lawyers. And if they perform their duties unethically or unlawfully, they're out. But people just didn't want to do it. They didn't want the public media response in their face to be like, oh, I was the guy that did that. And they just, you know, we just didn't have people with backbone. And more importantly, we had people who are anti-Trump, even though they were put in place by Trump. Um, so they just wanted to leave these figures in there, you know, and uh, we have to make sure to root out as many people as we're replacing the put in and then shrink those bureaucracies and agencies. We don't need to replace every one of those billets. We probably need to go at least 20 to 25 percent off of every agency and department. If I understand it correctly, you can I, you can and everybody knows this. This isn't like some secret that I've come up with on my own, but you can transfer employees. You just transfer them to somewhere horrible. And if they don't take it, then you can fire them. You know, you can transfer them to North Dakota on the border of Canada and they can have to live in an igloo. And if they don't want that job, then I think you can fire you them. It. But no, that's a big that's a big thing in government that's so underutilized. I'm not removing yep. your fancy SES status. I'm just sending you to the uh, you know, the 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 northern Alaskan border to patrol exactly. icebergs. And Oh, and I, you tell them their job, they're not going to have a computer and they're going to sit there and they're going to take a legal pad and they're just going to write out a list of all the prime numbers. And that's their new job. Like all day, every day, no internet, no computer. You're in a cubicle and you don't want the job. Okay, then you're fired. That's exactly. how you do it. But no. and everybody knows it. And it doesn't happen because there's an interest in continuing the status quo. Because this isn't like a brilliant thing I just came up with by myself. Everybody <laughs> knows you. this is exactly what you do. They just didn't want to do it. And, and that part of that is in government gangsters. That's exactly what I write about. You take these fancy billets uh, of people who say, oh, no, I've been here too long. You can't get rid of me. And you just reassign them. And when they say we're not moving to whatever part of whatever state, OK, bye bye. There's your justification to remove them. And so there's so many ways to do it. You can also go to Congress. And I tell this to folks in the book and zero out the billet. You can literally tell Congress to defund specific seats. And if there's no money. There's no job and you just got to work with appropriations and people who have a backbone. And I think people have now learned like this knee jerk response to these ideas when we first floated them and schedule F, um, which we get into as well. 
Um, it's just they were allowing D.C. to dictate with the fake news what should happen rather than what was lawful and what could happen. And people just didn't have the backbones. I mean, you want to talk about some of the biggest cowards in the Trump administration. Bill Barr is out there um, blaming the world yeah. for the failures of his Justice Department. I mean, we are talking about a Biden criminal crimes family syndicate that this guy sat That's on. Right. That's while he right. Yep. Attorney General of the United States, and he's out there blaming Trump and have a we got to get Trump. You were the number one cop in the country, the number one lawyer. You had this information. You had the information about January 6th, about the bogus informants, about the undercover agents. You sat on it. You appointed John Durham and let him walk a thin line to try to get accountability inwards in your DOJ and FBI because the only thing these government gangsters care about is protecting the institutions and their name brand associated with it. Bill Barr is one of the most corrupt criminal actors in modern-day Washington, D.C., and this is why the mainstream media loves – I mean – Look at who these people are now, quote unquote, friends with. They're on CNN. They're getting CNN contracts. They're on MSNBC. They're being glorified by the likes of uh, whatever that Joe Coffee guy is in the mornings on that trash show and, and all these other people. I mean, li literally, the Joe guys Coffee. they supposedly hated, they yep. are now besties with on the Washington cocktail circuit to get Donald Trump. And it ain't going to work. Liz and I share your impassioned contempt for Bill Barr. And I think <laughs> mostly because we feel duped by him because he yep, said yep. all the right things early on that he was going to hold um, what he called the, um, uh, uh, not the pro, uh, guard. Pro, yeah. I know I'm saying that wrong because I'm thinking proletariat guard. He really said all the right things initially in the spring of 2019. And then he was totally co-opted. He lost his nerve. He said Trump has accused him of losing his nerve when he was threatened uh, that he would be impeached by House Democrats. Um, but look, to hear him now and even yesterday when Marjorie Taylor Greene was walking through some of the evidence of human trafficking by Hunter Biden and emails dating back to 2020. Who was the attorney general then? Bill Barr. Exactly. Not only did he bury all of the evidence, ignore the Hunter Biden, the Biden family crime racket. Obviously, we know he was involved in the lead up of January 6th. He was part of the authorization process for the Whitmer fednapping hoax because mm -hmm. an FBI agent testified in April of 2022 that it was a terror enterprise investigation that had to be approved by the highest level. Bill Barr lied and said he didn't know anything about it until the week before the arrests were made. That we know also is a lie. So Cash, where is the subpoena for Bill Barr? When are those Republicans yeah. going to drag his yeah. fat ass oh, before man. oversight, <laughs> weaponization, judiciary in a televised hearing? And make that fat ass sweat. Oh, him in his bagpipe. He, he can yeah. come with his bagpipes. Remember that? Oh, I'm I'm gonna touch on that in a second. Can I tell you a secret <laughs> first that I haven't let out? Just to give you an example of the deep state. Um, when we had gotten rid of sessions and we were going to install the next attorney general, I actually put forward another individual whose name I'll keep private, but you guys know him. And now and everybody in the White House came after me and I said, this man should have been the attorney general. He fin ended up finished second behind, of course, Bill Barr. 
because the federal judiciary entrenched Washington lawyer class came in over the top and said, cash is crazy. I wasn't appointing myself. And anyone cash says you can't have. And this guy turned out to go on and later serve President Trump's administration masterfully. And they now know it should have been him. And that's what I talk about in Government Gangsters. Those types of personnel fights we had in the past are not going to replicate themselves. But pivoting to current events. Okay, but wait, 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 wait. You can't do that to us. That's not nice. Um, can we can we offer a guess who it was? You can offer a guess. Was it John Ratcliffe? Uh, you know, I'm just gonna stay silent. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Julie on that. Like, but that's my guess too. But so we'll just leave it out there. And uh, we do not have inside information. Just a guess. Even yeah, if you guys would have kept Matt Whitaker there, he would have kicked yeah, some ass. He would have, I know yeah. Matt. He's, he's, he's a great guy. He would have done more. But you're right. And, and pivoting the current events in Congress, you know, we've been talking about a congressional majority for nine months here. The last check we have in government on this weaponization, politicization of every department and agency. And we've seen what they do with it. And we've seen how they rig elections. And the only per- people that could check it is Congress. And nine months into the investigation of oversight of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, yesterday they send out a subpoena for Hunter's bank records. Like, what the hell are you guys doing? I mean, I've offered my help. I can't tell you how many times. I said, don't even pay me. I'll do it for free. And you guys (laughs) take the credit. Like, I don't want – I've run an investigation. It was called Russiagate. I don't know if you've heard of it. And these people (laughs) keep coming back for their 30-second headlines so they can be glorified in the mainstream media. Look what they said. Look at at him under fire. What are you doing with these witnesses who have nothing against personally? But when you go to kill the king, you kill the king. If yep. the world is watching you and you open a presidential inquiry and you bring in three witnesses I've never heard of, why didn't you bring in Hunter Biden? Why didn't you bring in the FBI whistleblowers that said that they were blockaded and preventing from investigating Joe Biden? Why don't you bring in the FBI agents and U.S. attorneys who literally took Joe Biden's name out of a criminal search warrant? And oh, by the way, why was that your last piece of information presented after nine months? Why isn't that email out there from yesteryear? Like, I don't understand what these people in Congress are doing and who is prioritizing them, except my only justification is they are part of the entrenched class. They don't have the gall to do the right thing. And all they care about is getting back on TV and getting fundraising and getting in the media cycle and getting in the good graces with these artificial headlines. And I'm sick and tired of it because they're costing us, the American people, who they work for, Another election. Chris Ray and Merrick Garland have violated at least six congressional subpoenas that I can count. And they have responded with no audacity. They have just said, okay, we'll just issue another one and I'll write you a pretty please letter and maybe you'll comply. Of course they won't. And we saw what Garland and Ray did to Navarro and Bannon. They prosecuted them for baseless contempt charges. When we can't expect these two cops to prosecute themselves, so Congress has this, I talk about in government gangsters, they have this inherent contempt of Congress power just for this incident, incident, and they haven't used it. They could go out there and arrest and force Garland and Ray to produce the documents that they have broken the law by high, withholding from Congress, and they're not willing to do any of these things. I don't have much, you know, and a lot of these folks on Capitol Hill, don't get me wrong, my friends, I used to work with them. I just don't have much faith in this anymore because I was their biggest cheerleader. We offered so much help. And, you know, the response is just – and look at what the response is. They got got their 
asses handed to them by AOC of all people yesterday, who asked a yeah. point cross examination. That was embarrassing. It was yep. embarrassing. Yep. Look, I mean, it's why failure they, theater. It's just more failure theater. Why did they choose those witnesses? Two people, to your point, never heard of Jonathan Turley, who is all over the map on everything. I, I don't understand. And I'm not even so sure, Cash, and I'd like your opinion on this and Liz as well. Why we're going towards impeaching, trying to impeach Joe Biden, when the people who are really, we yes. really need to go after are Merrick Garland, Lisa Monaco, yeah. Christopher yes. Ray, and Matthew Graves, the D.C. U.S. attorney, who was also involved in the Hunter Biden matter, declining to bring uh, charges against him for his 2014-2015 tax crimes. Um, but here we're going over this stuff, which we know is a dead end. Rather than holding the people accountable for really weaponizing government, going after Trump, going after Steve, to your point, the week after Matthew Graves was sworn in as U.S. attorney for D.C., the next week he brought criminal charges against Steve Bannon for contempt of Congress. These guys do not play around. What the hell are we doing? No, they don't. Look at them and the Jan 6 committee. I was the first guy subpoenaed by the January 6 committee. Cost me a quarter million dollars. They didn't send me a letter. They just leaked it to Washington Post who called me in the middle of the night and said, hey, you got a subpoena. And I wasn't afraid of a subpoena. I said, you guys are afraid of the truth. Why do you think my transcript was the last one they released, the Jan 6 committee? Because it blew up in the narrative we talked about that they had been putting out the lies on January 6th. But that's just an example of how to get after it when you're in the majority and how we are not. We're sending letters. We're, we're sending these letters to the media and saying, look at this powerful language. It's our 17th letter. And we are going to come after you very much so if you don't comply and you've been naughty to this date, so you're not getting a Christmas gift. I mean, this is laughable. And well, the left, this the left is always uses power to get more power. And yeah. the right doesn't do that. And so that's a perfect example of, you know, again, right after he's he's Matthew Graves is in, the first thing he does is, you know, he's going to start grinding out his huh? political enemies. And yeah. instead, we have like a clown show in Congress yesterday. No, and I agree with Julie Harley. I've been saying this for a long time. The political target I get is Joe Biden, but the target for the American people and for preventing the rigging of another election is Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray, the architects of this two-tier system of justice. They are the ones who, by the way, have been caught recently um, admitting that they are still multi-million dollar contracts with Facebook and Twitter for election integrity purposes. These guys had an 80-member task force that met once a week before the last election to say what should and shouldn't be put out on their censored platforms by the United States government. These are the individuals that we need subpoenaed and brought to justice in the halls of Congress because all those documents will lead back to Joe Biden. Everybody knows Biden was in on the corrupt criminal scandal with this kid. Everybody knows he lied about it. Everybody knows Biden um, instructed the DOJ to to waive executive privilege so Donald Trump could be prosecuted, thereby bringing the White House directly into the criminal prosecution of, of President Trump. He was in on it. We all know that. We all know this guy can't make it through an hour, well, maybe even five minutes, without taking a seat or having a mental breakdown. But what we need is the receipts. And the way you get the receipts is Congress enforcing these subpoenas against Ray and Garland and then bringing them up to Capitol Hill to testify. And maybe, here's just a crazy thought, Maybe you take away Chris Ray's government-funded G5 jet until yeah. he actually responds and complies with the law. I don't understand how they are letting him run so roughshod over them unless – are they that stupid They're or are afraid. they that in on it 
to get to gut Trump campaign. You're right. What if Politico wrote a nasty story about them? I mean, they don't want that. (laughs) That's what it is. It's like they don't want to get bad press from the prestige media. Oh, you're totally right. Everybody in Capitol Hill is like, oh, my God, what what are they saying on me on this radio show on this? And then this article that no one in America cares about except their self-licking ice cream cone that is Washington, (laughs) D.C. I mean, literally, no one cares what they say about them in all this trash that's out there. And most of Americans don't even know the names of those organizations, which to me is our saving grace, by the way. That's our little window. Be like, wait a second. You're not listening to this garbage. How about here's some here's a heavy dose of the truth. But we could hit them with the truth so much harder if we had the documentation. Did you do you not think the guys that covered up the Russiagate corruption scandal are right now working on Russiagate 27.0, trying to rig oh, another president's election with Facebook and Twitter, trying to use the FBI to lawfare and manhunt baselessly Trump surrogates and Trump campaign officials? Of course they're doing it. They're just doing it smarter, and they're going to get away with it because you know guys like Devin Nunes and company aren't back in Congress with the will and the audacity to go after them and take away their funding. It's a big part of government gangsters. You don't shut down the whole FBI. You shut down FBI headquarters and you take Merrick I, Garland's fancy toys away from it and watch the documents come in. They just don't want to do it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And all of this is possible. And Liz and I talk about this a lot and I report on this a lot. The biggest gangsters, the biggest villains in all of this, as you know, Cash, none of this would happen but for federal judges, especially those who sit on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. True villains like Beryl Howell, who is the chief judge overseeing the Mueller investigation and, you know, everything related to January 6th, the Trump prosecution. I mean, look, when she sends a message to Twitter that not only are you we going to force you to produce all the data related to Donald Trump's Twitter account, uh-huh. force you to do that because Jack Smith wants it. You have a two day deadline to produce all of that data. And by the <laughs> way, we are also going to authorize Beryl Howell a non-disclosure order, which means you can't tell Donald Trump for 180 days that we have the search warrant, that we're getting these records because Jack Smith says you're a flight risk. <laughs> and if he, if he found out about it, that he would leave the country or intimidate witnesses or whatever. So they conceal all of it. And then the cherry on top, 51 hour alleged delay. She fines Twitter $350,000 for an alleged 51 hour delay in producing all of these records and keeping it hidden from Donald Trump. <laughs> so the judges are the bad guys. Where is the messaging on what to do? In my opinion, House Republicans should defund the Washington FBI field office. They should defund the U.S. attorneys for the District of Columbia and the D.C. federal court because that's the cabal, right? That's the triumvirate of evil. All, it, But for those three entities, most of this could not happen. So where's the messaging, especially from the Trump campaign, on judges? Because people are really waking up, especially what's happening to him, but also what's happening in the J6 prosecution, that these are judges are the ones who are enabling all of this. No, you're right. As, as a former federal prosecutor and public defender, you used to think that the judiciary, the, 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 the so-called apolitical warriors of justice in black robes, <clears throat> would be the final backstop on constitutional violations. No more. They are in on it as much as the rest of them, as you just outlined. And I've been subpoenaed by Jack Smith. I've been before Beryl Howell. I know what it's like. 
And they are creating this two-tier system of justice and allowing so many people to, um, you know, suffer baselessly in the gulags of the D.C. prison for their January 6th uh, uh, bonds and instead of allowing them to be presumed innocent and under house arrest while their court cases are adjudicated. It's just one example. But they are rubber stamping every ask of the DOJ, to your point. They are taking what Merrick Garland and his government gangsters are putting out there and bringing it to court and saying, oh, yes, of course this is legal. And they mostly being in the D.C. circuit, in the D.C. district. So what I talk about in government gangsters and what I hope the Trump administration coming in will encourage people to do is people don't realize this, but you can impeach federal judges. <clears throat> and we need to start doing that. Um, Absolutely. This Congress, I doubt, won't do it. But I think when we win with even bigger numbers in in next November, that has to be a promise that we start trotting out on the campaign trail for senators and House representatives who are, who are up for re-election. We have to go to them and say, I'm not asking you to impeach every federal judge, but you can't sit there and tell me that these federal judges haven't broken the law when they have conspired with DOJ and FBI to allow these, allow these unlawful prosecutions, to allow the persecution of innocent Americans because they dare to be America first or they dare to go to church um, or things like that. And you castigate them as domestic violent terrorists and you use lawfare to put them down and take away their money so they can't feed their families and pay rent. These judges are worse, in my opinion, than all of the rest of them combined because they're the ones that are supposed to sit there and say, OK, enough's enough. But they are rubber stamping this gaslighting of the Constitution. And there's a lot of them, especially some of their conduct from January 6th and the cases and the bond hearings that have resulted from that and the sentences that have resulted from that, that they need to be on uh, the impeachment chopping block. And that power needs to be utilized by Congress. We keep again, we're going back to impeachment of Joe Biden. Who cares? This guy That's cannot right. beat Donald Trump. Right. And if we don't do the bidding of the American people and get them the information, then we are not going to have the, the truth on the campaign trail. Instead, you're going to be drowned out by the liars in the mainstream media who are going to continue to say, quote unquote, what evidence? Because when you had your shot, you failed. And when you had your shot, you can't rewind the tape and go back and say, oh, I should have gone after Garland and Ray. Look at all this treasure trove of corruption we could have uncovered and distributed to the American people. So I don't know where they stand, but um, – I'm with you on the judiciary. They have become very bad actors, criminal in some some aspects um, with the DOJ's unlawful prosecution of Americans. And they got to They got to step it up. Well, there is a little hope because there's a major case um, that's now pending before the Supreme Court. And that's related to the 1512 C2 charge that um, Jack Smith also brought against Donald Trump. Um, now pending, you have plea deals and charges and convictions for more than about 320 J6ers on this obstruction of an official proceeding, the post-Enron statute that deals with tampering with evidence and witnesses, not briefly interrupting a session of Congress. So if the Supreme Court decides next month to take up that case, um, it's going to send a very strong message to Jack Smith and DOJ and Matthew Graves that this is in real jeopardy. Uh, and if it's overturned, the use of 1512 C2, because they intentionally misrepresented, uh, misinterpreted the language in that statute, it resulted in a splintered three-panel uh, appellate court ruling that did really nothing to clarify it. But that's going to be a huge blow. And uh -huh. if that's the case, then House Republicans, it is incumbent that they investigate how 
these prosecutors and judges, except for one, Carl Nichols, who was a Trump appointee, how every single one of them refused to dismiss that count, uh-huh. move forward on something they knew they were misinterpreting to turn otherwise misdemeanor cases into felony cases, resulting in pretrial detention, incarceration, then conviction sentencing up to three, four years like Jacob Chansley, and their lives completely ruined. So if that does happen, I really hope it's something that the Trump campaign is paying attention to. They should, because this is one of the four counts, really two related under 1512 against um, the president. Um, That will be the biggest example of the flagrant abuse of the law by judges and prosecutors uh, to criminalize political dissent and turn these people into convicted felons. You're absolutely right. And and that if if nobody if 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 the people listening, listen to nothing else, they should listen to that last clip from from you because nobody's covering that case and its movement up towards the Supreme Court. And nobody's talking about it. And the ripple effect that that will have if these Supreme Court justices do the constitutional thing and take the case up and then make the constitutional decision to dismiss these counts and put back Jack Smith's unlawful overreach in prosecuting not just Donald Trump, um, but so many of the January 6th defendants. And then we can start educating the American public that none of these things we've talked about on your show are right wing conspiracies. Russiagate was a conspiracy from the criminal left. The 51 Intel letter was a conspiracy from the criminal left to rig a presidential election. The Hunter Biden laptop is real criminal evidence of Joe and Hunter Biden's criminal conduct. These things all happened, but they keep telling us in the media that we Trump supporters did it or Trump did it. And then they baselessly prosecute us in the courts. And the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be the final arbiter of every single Trump case. And I hope they move with greater speed on the things that you just outlined, um, Julie, because that is of critical importance and needs to occur before the next presidential election. So we got to keep an eye out for that. Julie, what's the timeline on that? Can you tell our listeners like where where is that in the docket, you know, on this for the Supreme Court? So you have two attorneys. Um, one is an appellate attorney, Nick, Nick Smith, and they have the cert petition uh, pending. It's actually been picked up by SCOTUS blog, who. Uh, flagged it, kind of explained it, which I think is a good sign that they believe that the Supreme Court will pick this up. So my understanding, what I've been told, is that um, the Supreme Court will decide by the end of October whether to take up this case, that arguments could be heard um, early summer of 2024. And the feeling is, especially based on the so-called splintered, and this was one of the judges who ruled on this, um, uh, Judge Katsis, who also was a Trump appointee, and he flat out said in this three panel decision, it was authored by Florence Pan, who was appointed by Joe Biden and her husband. I forget his name, but he is a big left wing radical. He was involved in the Kavanaugh assassination, character assassination campaign. She authored it, said, yes, it's never been used this way before January 6th. Yes, it has to do with tampering with evidence. But here's a word I think we can turn corruptly and make it applicable. So the um, appellate court ruling was nothing, which I think, and I'm I'm not an attorney, but Cash, maybe you could weigh in here because it is important that because this ruling was so splintered and then the D.C. Circuit refused to do this end bank review, which means the entire court looks at it, punted this basically to the Supreme Court. Um, it's hard to see that this isn't overturned, but that's sort of the timeline now, which is why yeah. I still believe Jack Smith is going to bring additional charges 
against Trump because if they say the end of October, yes, we're taking this up, that really sinks two of the four counts against him. So they've got to bring something else, right? They're not just going to be like, oh, okay, well, here we'll have conspiracy to defraud the American people. That's bogus. Those are two of the other conspiracy charges. So um, this is going to be this this will be huge news if SCOTUS takes that up next month. I think you're right. I think we are so dependent because Congress has just not come through for us in so many regards. I just don't know that the Supreme Court is going to expedite the case in that fashion. And remember, they go out for summer break and they don't come back till, you know, every year they come back in the first, uh, what is it, weekend in September or something like that. Are they going to issue that monumental decision right before the election? That's what will be next year. You know, I really... I really hope that those justices realize the public importance of this all and force a decision in spring of next year so that we have the ability to digest the ruling and also have the ability to the lower courts to correct, force correct their unconstitutional behavior so the American public can see it because they can't just read a judicial opinion and be like, oh, this is, oh, this is great. We need to see and feel how it goes. And when you see people being cleared of wrongdoing, when you see people being prosecuted based on their beliefs or that they're America first or support Donald Trump, when you see that and when you see judicial decisions that are handed down by the Supreme Court and tell you what the law of the land is and you get some of these corrupt district court judges to reverse course, people are going to start listening. So, um, you know, my hope is that they just move a little quicker than the Supreme Court normally does. Yes, ditto. And, I, you know, then we'll also see appeals for seditious conspiracy convictions, yep. those for, you know, two dozen or so who have pleaded guilty or been convicted. So there's lots of appeals that are going to be happening, of course, too late for these people whose lives have been destroyed. But um, before we sign out, Liz, do you have any questions on that? I just wanted to get Cash's. Uh, no, I just wanted to I just wanted to kind of like kind of support Cash's point talking about what they're doing now that we don't know about. Cause we say that on the show. I know I say it all the time to everybody that right now they're doing something that we're not going to find out for two years. Right. And then in two years, we're going to be investigating whatever they're plotting right now at this very moment. And that kind of speaks to the Republicans and certainly are the very disappointing Republican Congress where they're, they're like two years behind you know, and the Supreme Court, you're going to have to wait what, like you said, possibly right before the 2024 election. So that's that's my only thing I want to add. So go right back to you, Julie. So we'll wrap up. And Cash, thank you so much. We know you're slammed with interviews and appearances. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So thanks for joining Happy Hour. Um, what are, Just to close out, what's your take on the 2024 election? Um, do you think that Joe Biden will be the candidate. There's speculation that he won't. Uh, what are your thoughts about the rest of the primary <laughs> field? Like where where are we headed? Mike, uh, yeah, I, I think Donald Trump is the Republican nominee. I think if we can get out the information we talked about on your show, the American public will be armed to combat the disinformation on election rigging of the deep state. Um, and, you know, and where Joe Biden lands, I think the left doesn't want him out there. And I think that's why they are okay with the impeachment in their quiet circles, because they'd rather drop in a Gavin Newsom and we'll probably take the bait and do their bidding for them. Um, Joe Biden, according to him, is not going anywhere, but I don't think the Democrats want him there. So it's going to be an interesting um, 
confluence of events. It's no coincidence. It's another major theme of my book, Government Gangsters. There just aren't any coincidences in government that the Washington Post is now calling for the retirement of Joe Biden. These things don't just happen. And um, they're setting it up. And we'll see where this criminal conduct and whether or not Hunter Biden's charged for what he should have been and how the, how much information comes out on Joe Biden before then. If it starts coming out from the DOJ and FBI, because I believe they've already leaked it to the friends in the media, that's going to be how they take out Joe Biden. But I think Donald Trump has the best policies in the nation. His agenda 47 is better than no one else's. Republican um, candidates for president were asked, what issues do you have that you will solve better than President Trump? And they couldn't come up with a single one. The border, Iran, Russia, China, the economy, uh, narco traffickers, human trafficking, law and order, DOJ, FBI, ending these government gangsters. That's the mission of my book, Government Gangsters. So hopefully everybody gets out there and buys a copy at governmentgangsters.com or wherever books are sold. And thanks for having me. That's great, Cash. Great conversation. Thank you. So people, um, please go purchase Cash's book. I purchased it this morning on Amazon on my Kindle because that's how I like to because I can search books much easier that way. So where else? Some people don't like to use Amazon, um, but where so you have your own website. I know this is Post Hill Press also. Yeah, sure. They do a great job. So you could get it there. Governmentgangsters.com. And where are people going to see you next? Do you have any big appearances coming up? Yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm doing a lot of book tours events, uh, Florida, Texas, Iowa, California, Nevada, Arizona. So I'm kind of hopping around and then I'll be, uh, you know, doing surrogate events for President Trump. And you'll find me on Truth Social at KASH. That's the only place I'm at on social media. We don't do censorship. We just blast out the truth. Come join the party. All right. Thanks so much, Cash. And thanks for listening to Happy Hour. Uh, Julie, are we going to be back next week? We are not because I'm (gasps) going to London again next week. So. I oh, no. Run. I'm sorry. All right. So we're not going to be back next week. So don't tweet at us. Like, where are you? Because there's not going to be a show. But we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on iTunes. Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. And we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.